Welcome to the Purpose and Principles Podcast. My uh, guest today is Jeff Henderson, who wrote a fabulous book. In fact, I've bought copies of it for many friends and clients already, uh, but, a, but a book called Know What You're For. And uh, when, I, when I read this book, I listened to it on Audible first, and then I started having to take notes, and I, it wasn't enough to just have it on Audible, so I had to buy the book, and I started taking more notes, and I thought, man, I really wanted to get him on the show. Jeff, thank you for being here. Max, I'm honored. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being such an encouragement, and thanks for uh, the support of the book. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, in, in today, the things that we're all facing and the challenges we face, your book is timely. It's it's really about who are we for, what are we for, and I'd love if you wouldn't mind just describing that, why this book and what's the message about. Well, before we found ourselves in, in where we are, you know, when you and I are recording this, I, I firmly believe that where the future of business is going is that it's it's no longer about being the best company in the world. It's about being the best company for the world. Hmm. And it's no longer about, you know, shouting about how much better that we are than our competitors and look how great we are. It's what are we doing to help improve the world? And that's not to say that it has to be some altruistic, you know, means, mm-hmm. but I think one of the ways you improve the world is running a fantastic business or running a fantastic nonprofit organization. And so in this world that we now find ourselves in, I think the the opportunity to let customers and let people, let community and let the team around us know that we want to create an organization that is genuinely and authentically for you. Mm-hmm. Now is the time. I think it's always been the time, mm-hmm. but now more than ever. You know, it's interesting you say that because um, I have some clients right now that are certainly trying to figure out remote teams and they're trying to figure out, you know, how do we manage and what do we do while we're all trying to figure this out. For me, I've told them, you know, this isolation, uh, this doesn't prevent us from still having human connection. We just got to be more thoughtful about what that human connection looks like. Absolutely. And I think it, I think we need to ask ourselves too. What, what are things that we want to walk away from mm. that was kind of pre, pre-virus, if you will? What, what are things that we would go, you know what, we should probably walk away from that yeah. and let's change some things up. I do think one of the fundamental principles we talk about in the book is that to be truly for the customer, you have to be for the team mm-hmm. because the customer is eventually treated like the team is treated. And I know we'll talk about this in a little bit, mm-hmm. but to your point, Max, right now still staying in contact one of the things i I share with leaders in this season Mm -hmm. it's helpful for people to hear your voice Mm -hmm. it's helpful for people to see you if if, you know so i'm trying to send out you know quick videos and just audio messages to our teams Mm -hmm. and if you look back one of the best things i think we can do not only in a season of crisis but any season is to be students of history Mm -hmm. and what did what did people in history that were going through a crisis. What did they do? And mm-hmm. one of the things I, I, I uh, President Roosevelt, I mean, he would do the fireside chats. It was yeah. just an opportunity for the country to actually hear his voice versus mm-hmm. read it. And so to your point, I think staying connected to our teams is is really important because that isolation is having a, a different impact 
depending on the type of personality that you are, but it's having an impact even on introverts. Yes. Um, it's even having an <laughs> impact. No, you're absolutely right. For a season, the introverts are like, this is amazing. This is from heaven. And then suddenly about five days in, they're like, wait, this is shocking. I'm actually missing people. You know, it's funny you say that. I was on a, a meeting earlier today where someone actually did say that. And they just said, really? we are, I'm missing, I'm missing physical contact with people. You know, and mm -hmm. it's it's really true. We're social by nature. You know, we want to be in contact with people. And you know, you asked two powerful questions right at the top of the book that just really got my attention. Uh, could you talk to us about that? What are the two questions everyone needs to know in order for their business to grow? Sure, and to give you a little bit of background on this, yeah. Max. So I was I was I told a mentor of mine one time that you know I've been able to work for a multi billion dollar. Uh, chicken company, Chick-fil-A. Yep. And I've been able to work for a re really large nonprofit that was recently named the largest church in America. And I don't know if that's true or not, but I just said, Hey, well, how cool is it that I've been able to work for two really thriving organizations? And he pushed back a little bit to say, no, you're right. It's a blessing, but it's also a stewardship responsibility. What mm -hmm. did you learn? And you should share that with us. And so I began to think about that and really took that challenge seriously. And then I began to ask the question, well, what causes organizations to grow? Because mm -hmm. we all want to grow. Nobody starts an organization, whether it's a for-profit or non-profit. They go, you know what? I hope someday this thing collapses. Yeah. And it, 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 it closes. No, we all want to grow. So I came up, you know, just my observation of being a part of two thriving organizations and being a student of others, I feel like it comes down to two questions. And that mm -hmm. first question is what do you want to be known for? Mm -hmm. And it can't be a 12 paragraph mission statement that you came up with on a retreat three years ago that's in a filing cabinet that nobody remembers. It's gotta be something that is compelling, that is short, that is transportable and memorable. What do you want to be mm -hmm. known for? And that is your unique vision. That's your unique niche to the marketplace. That's Steve Jobs would say, that's your dent in the universe. The second question, though, is, is the problematic one. The mm -hmm. first one is the exciting one. We're going to go and change the world, which I'm all about. Mm -hmm. The second one is, what are you known for? Mm -hmm. And the reason this one is problematic and pesky and challenging is because it's not yours to answer. Mm -hmm. It's yours to influence, but it's not yours to answer. Because the group that gets to answer this question is your customer. Mm -hmm. Or if you're a nonprofit, the person that you're trying to serve or your donors. But here's the power, Max, with those two questions. When the answers to those two questions match, mm -hmm. when what you want to be known for is actually what you're known for, then what you do is you create vision carriers. You create a sales force for free, mm -hmm. and you leverage the most powerful form of advertising the world has ever, has ever known, will ever know, and that is positive word-of-mouth advertising. And the reason this is important is a business, for example, is no longer what it tells customers it is. Mm -hmm. A business is what customers tell other customers business is. That's mm -hmm. the ballgame. So every day an organization has to come to work knowing that, hey, we might have different responsibilities. I might work in a different department than you, but ultimately we're on the same team. We've got to influence these two questions. And when this happens, the silos that organizations can build begin to fall down. There, gets, there, there becomes a unity. And honestly, I think you're seeing that in this crisis that we're in, that you and I are recording this on, on this season, because all the silos are gone. Mm -hmm. And it's like, hey, we're in an emergency and we got to rally together. 
I would encourage organizations once this season passes, don't lose that mm-hmm. and still stick to these questions. What do you want to be known for? Because here's the, here's the great thing. You know, there's a political statement, which I don't really like, but I think it's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, a politician said never waste a crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, the crisis is burning away some of the non-essential tasks that we do mm-hmm. and lean in to this moment because what you're focusing in on is more than likely what you want to be known for. Yeah. You know, for me, the power of those two questions as well really comes in the follow-up, like you said, the second question. Because the first question, a lot of people would say, yeah, we know that. We know what we're for. But it's but but, but when you pair it with what do people say about you <laughs> and, and, you know, do they know what you're known or do you know by what they define you as what you're known for? Absolutely. And, and I encourage leaders because um, I hear that a lot. I, I think everybody knows yeah. what before. I said, okay, well, if you're so confident, let me triple dog dare you here. Yeah. I'd like for you to go and, and just walk around either, you know, in person or virtually and say, Hey, what do you think we're known for? Okay. And I want you to listen. I don't want you to push back. I don't want you to, I just want you to listen. And if you get some blank stares, mm-hmm. if you get different answers to this question, then the warning light should be blinking on the dashboard. Because what it's telling you is that there's confusion in the office space. Mm-hmm. And when there's confusion in the office space, there will be confusion in the marketplace about this. So I think it is a dangerous assumption for leaders to make that everybody knows what we want to be known for. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't shy away from, you know, mm-hmm. when you pull a rock up and you see all the squiggly things under the rock. That's mm-hmm. what sometimes you, you do. So this takes courage. But here's the reality too, Max. Even if you, you know, get 100 on the test mm-hmm. and everybody knows what you want to be known for, the reality is you continually have to say it over and over mm-hmm. again mm-hmm. because real life has a really good um, track record against vision, just wearing it down. Mm-hmm. And so leaders are repeaters. You got to say this. So it's not just to know what you want to be known for. You've got to communicate it and cast it in ways and do in new fresh ways for sure. But you got to stay on what this message is because leaders are repeaters. You know, that it really leads into another question. But you mentioned in the book that we can't just go out there and just tell everyone trying to convince them that to be fans of us. And in a lot of social media, that's what it's all about. You know, people try to get a bunch of followers and it's all just about how many you followers you can get, but never about who you follow or being a fan of, of your customer. And you're saying, no, be a fan of your customer. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? I think, I think thriving organizations, I used to say, Max, thriving organizations of the future. I'm going to change that to say thriving organizations of today Hmm. will be Hmm. more interested in becoming a fan of the customer Hmm. instead of the trying to convince the customer to become a fan of the organization. Now we, we certainly want that, but shouting at customers, mm-hmm. look how great we are. And, and I see this all the time on social media. I, I push back a lot of times in the, in, when I work with large brands and I go, by the way, you know, you're not in, you, you don't do social media and they, they completely lose their minds. They're mm-hmm. like, what are you talking about? Look at our Facebook page. We have an Instagram page. I'm like, no, you're doing digital media. But the spotlight of your social media is all on you. Mm -hmm. And there's a word for that. 
Uh, if many, if, if, if a business was a person, many businesses would be considered narcissists yeah. because you look at them and they're like, look how great we are. We're amazing. We're the best company in the world. And so what I'm saying is, yeah, you should be pr- proud of what you do. That's sure. awesome. You, you should talk about your product. Absolutely. But will you shift the spotlight and be more concerned with how the customer is doing and, and how and I, I give a sporting analogy that says, you know, for many businesses, if it's a football game, mm-hmm the business is on the field and they want customers in the stands cheering, uh, cheering the business on. Mm -hmm. I asked them to flip the script. Mm -hmm. Will you put the customer on the field and put the business in the stands and the team of the business is cheering the customer on and we want to be a value add to your life. I got an example of this just last week. Mm -hmm. Uh, Atlanta United is the soccer team here Mm -hmm. in Atlanta. Uh, they they recently won uh, the national their, their their league championship, which is great because we don't win a lot in Atlanta. We uh, we've we've built more stadiums than we've won championships here in Atlanta. So this is a big deal. So obviously, you know, when we're recording this, every sport has been pretty much postponed or canceled. Mm-hmm. So what Atlanta United does is they decide to call their season ticket holders, but rather than say, "Hey, hang in there, don't cancel your season tickets." They called their season ticket holders and asked a question, and they said, hey, how are you doing? That's just all we want to know. How mm-hmm. are you doing? And then they would say, oh, here's, here's how I'm doing. Okay, well, just want to let you know we're, we're cheering for you today. And so a friend of mine, the only reason I knew about it, a friend of mine posted it on Instagram and said, I just got a call from Atlanta United, and they just wanted to know how I'm doing. That's amazing. There's no way in the world this guy's going to cancel his season tickets because now – that organization has said we're really genuinely for you, and um, I think that's why they have such a passionate fan base here. Yeah, they're creating that one-to-one intimate relationship. Absolutely, one conversation at a time. Yeah, absolutely, and and that the more personable you are, the more remarkable you'll be. Yeah. So they could, I mean, obviously they could do a huge advertising campaign. Don't cancel your season tickets, and maybe that's a good idea. I'm not saying it's mm-hmm. not, but what I'm saying is this kind of thing is far greater than um, uh, you know we're we're the best soccer team in the world. Right. No, they just said, hey, would you, would you? We just want to let you know. How, we just want to. We have a question for you. How you doing? Mm-hmm. That's a powerful, powerful question. Yeah. Yeah. So we have to be for the customer for sure. And you're saying, let's be fans of the customer. I, you know, I believe that's true e- even in this podcast world. Uh, and I, d- I did a podcast a number of years ago, eight, nine years ago. And we always found that the the guests that we had on that show at the time, that we got the most downloads, the most listenership to was the guests who wanted to just create tons of value and weren't doing a lot of selling. So they were really for the listener, not yeah, for themselves. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's, I, I think, you know, being good, uh, doing good is good for business. Yeah. I just really do believe that. Yeah. I believe generosity wins. And even if I'm wrong, I want to go out swinging with generosity and yeah. doing good for business. That's why I put my cell phone in the, at the back of the book and said, hey, just text me. Let me know what you, what, how I can help. What mm-hmm. can, and I, I'm getting about a, a, a text a day, which is so fun for me, you know, to be able, and people will ask me questions and go, Hey, I read this on page so-and-so. Could you give me another idea for this? Absolutely. Why don't you go do this? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just believe 
that kind of generosity really wins. It's a whole lot more better than it's. I think it's better for business. I just think it's a better way to, for life. That's why the subtitle of the book is a growth strategy for work. Yeah, we want to grow our organizations, mm -hmm. but this is an even better strategy for life to genuinely be for others. I yeah. just think it's a better way to live. Well, and and to that point, I mean, it's a perfect transition as well because we talk about for being for the customer, and then you say, but let's also be for our teams. If you want to be for the customer, you've got to be for the team. Absolutely, it's an unquestioned principle mm -hmm. that the customer is eventually treated like the team is treated. Mm -hmm. So, take my you know my former world in, in quick service restaurants. When I walk up to the counter mm -hmm. or I drive through the drive-through, I can tell instantly how that person is being treated because it's flowing right to me and if they're treating well if they're being treated well then they smile they have great eye contact they're they're grateful that i'm here yeah. if they're not being being treated well then they don't care they don't they don't have good eye contact they don't smile they don't really care about customer service so it's you can't have a healthy customer culture with a dysfunctional team culture. It is impossible. You can fake it for a little while, mm -hmm. but eventually it'll it'll catch up to you. So mm -hmm. we've got to create a culture that is for the team. And that's what I wrote about in the book is that, hey, here's some things I've observed from people. Here's some things that, um, that I have done that I've observed personally, things I've read about. But I think if you'll do a few of these things consistently over time, you will create a culture that they that people will go, wow, mm -hmm. this organization is genuinely for me. And that flows not just to them, it flows through them to the customer. You know, it's interesting because, again, a lot of companies are going to say, yeah, we do that too. We're for our teams. Of course we are. You know, we, we respect everyone. We love everyone, you know, and um, it, it's all perfect. But what we're talking about here is let's not take the little things for granted, right? There are little things we can do that can be a l very powerful, very impactful if we're thoughtful about how we approach them. Sincere recognition and appreciation, letting people know that they matter, the appreciating the hard work that they're doing, and, and in some cases on these front lines of helping us in a, in a crisis, um, really risking their own health and well-being in order to serve others in so many different ways. It's, it's truly, truly inspiring. Absolutely. And to your point, if you to, if you were to read the websites of every organization, we love our teams, we mm -hmm. love our, our, you know, the people we work with. But all of that flies in the face of hardcore data that says that's not actually happening. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because right. Gallup will tell you that 80% of the workforce is disengaged at work because they don't feel like they're either appreciated or they don't feel like they have a purpose. And that actually goes back to what do we want to be known for? Mm -hmm. And so that's, I think that research is showing that maybe we're, we're not as up to speed in terms of what's actually happening in our culture than in our organizational cultures, because research is saying that that's not actually true. Right. So I think coming to work every day, because here's the thing, the demands of work, the demands of obviously the situation that we find ourselves in now, it's easy for developing the team to be one of those things that it's important, but not urgent. Mm -hmm. Here's what's happening. Here's what this is revealing. This season is revealing a lot. 
But this season is really revealing the true cultures of organizations. Mm -hmm. Because if you didn't have a for the team culture right now, then you're experiencing that. And there is greater dysfunction Mm -hmm. and there is greater lack. There's a, a lack of trust that's being because now it's just it's just digital and Zoom. And even though you can see it a little bit, it's still not to your earlier point. It's still not the same as being in person. So but I'm not. I'm not saying that it's impossible to change. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying mm-hmm. now is an opportunity to go, okay, look, here's a, here's a, here's a, something I think everybody needs to be thinking about. Mm-hmm. Again, Max, if somebody's listening to this two years from now, hey, I still think this is important, but specifically over the next few months, the big word that everybody's going to be talking about is re-entry. Mm-hmm. Re-entry into our organization, re-entry into the business, re-entry into the old way of doing things. And I'm not saying the old way of doing things is the, you know, we need to discard that. But what I am saying is in this season, don't miss the opportunity to really reflect on our culture and go, you know what, could we go up mm-hmm. several notches or at least one notch in terms of truly being for the team? Are there some practical things that we could do on a day in day out basis? I'm all for offsites, but a two day offsite mm-hmm against a 363-day uh, 363 year. Mm-hmm. That's hard. If, that's the, if you're banking on a two-day offsite to build your culture, that's hard. It's that day-in, day-out, steady uh, consistency to let the team know that you're for them. Yeah. You, you write in the book about Home Depot and Frank Blake's handwritten notes. You know, Doug Conan at Campbell Soup was famous for this as well. And uh, I've had Doug on the show. He talks about his 30,000 personalized thank you notes that he wrote during his tenure, right? Uh, But tell me a little bit about Frank and and Home Depot. Like, how did they they make this such a great place to work when he was leading the company? The the, the truth of the story with Frank is that Home Depot was really in a difficult situation. I mean, Mm -hmm. he was was called by the board and said, hey, we we fired the CEO, you're now in charge. Mm -hmm. Frank had never been a CEO before. Mm -hmm. So he thought, what do I do? And so if if Frank were with us today, Max, and we and he led an incredible turnaround. Mm -hmm. And we were like, hey, what's one thing that you did? The answer to that would be handwritten thank you notes. And you're thinking, really, seriously, but here's what he did. He wasn't he just wouldn't get around to it every once in a while. He had a system. So he had every region, every mm-hmm. week, they would report in stories mm-hmm. and they would say, hey, this is Max. This is what he did this week in our store. And so Frank would write a note, say, hey, dear Max, I heard that you were, you know, in this place and you did this and this is the kind of company we want to be. Mm-hmm. And Frank would write 100 notes a week. And what my favorite, favorite Frank Blake story, I put this in the book, is that he was in a Home Depot store one day and a Home Depot associate came up and said, Mr. Blake, you wrote me a thank you note. I'm so grateful, but could you write me another one? Hmm. And he said, well, sure, but why do you need me to write another one? And he said, well, when I got your note, I showed it to my wife and to my, my fellow employees and they, none of them believed it. They said this was computer generated, that there's no way that I actually got a handwritten note from Frank Blake. So they said, if you put it underwater, the ink won't run because this is computer generated. It's fake. So he thought, oh, that's, you know, that's probably pretty cool. That's or not pretty cool. That's probably true. Hmm. So he put it underwater. Uh, the, the good news is the ink ran. It was a real note. The bad news is the ink ran and he needed to write another one. 
But to me, that story illustrates so much. First of all, which so it's so sad yeah. that the bar on leadership is so low that people don't even believe that this is actually a handwritten thank you. Now, we're not all Frank Blake. We're not all Home Depot CEO. <clears throat> I get that. But my point in this is that encouragement is never small when you're on the receiving end of it. Mm-hmm. I don't care who you are in the organization. And Truett Cathy, the, the founder of Chick-fil-A, taught me that the international sign that you can use to determine whether someone needs encouragement is if they are breathing. Mm-hmm. And if they're breathing, they need encouragement. And again, as for me, I want to be a part of organizations that are going to focus on encouragement. And I heard a relationship study one time, Max, that said for every one comment of encouragement, Mm -hmm. we get seven comments of criticism. Mm -hmm. And when I saw that, I thought, well, that explains a lot. Mm -hmm. That explains why so many workplaces are dysfunctional. That explains why when the boss calls, the first response for so many people is, oh, no, what did I do wrong? And I just don't think that kind of culture is going to flow in a positive way to customers. Yeah. So, um, I, in fact, I was I, I really want to create a, a field guide that's basically that says here are 40 things to do for the next 40 days, one a day. You do this for the team, you'll create a for the team culture. Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of the, the, the organization that I want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've observed with thriving organizations is they have a culture that you can feel once you step into the building mm-hmm. or step into the, you just you just sense there's something different here it's hard to see it on a spreadsheet but it's actually really easy to see it on a spreadsheet when you see how that is impacting it yeah day in and day out the people who are appreciated for a job well done just respond so much better and as you've mentioned you know Gallup that relationship with your leader your direct leader has a really big impact on the way you want to contribute or not so if that recognition is, is sincere if the appreciation is heartfelt you can feel it. You want to be a part of that. You know, you really want to participate. People who are appreciated more work harder, mm-hmm. my experience is, because what you're doing is you're casting a belief over their life that says, I see things in you that you might not see. I'm expecting you to live up to that. Mm-hmm. This isn't um, this isn't babysitting people. This no. isn't um, trying to look the other way. I'm not saying we shouldn't confront people. One of the ways we show people that we're for them is that when we do confront them and go, hey, you know what? I think you're you're better than this. But um, I, I love what a friend of mine, Tim Merwin, I quoted him in the book, that people will be willing to hear anything you have to say as long as they genuinely believe that you're for them. Mm-hmm. And when they genuinely believe that you have their best interest at heart and that you are for them, then you are invited to step into their lives and from a workplace standpoint and go, hey, you know what? That wasn't that great. Mm -hmm. And what bothers me is I believe you can do better than that. So let's talk about how we can get better because I just think you're better than this. Yeah, yeah. We can take this to another level. Yeah, absolutely. We have to be for the customer. We have to be for the team. You talk about being for the community and the people around us, and then also about ourselves, for you, or being for yourself, for personal reflection and rejuvenation. Can you talk about those two for a minute? What does it mean to be for the community and then to be for yourself? 
So if I can give you a little bit of a background from what I do as a as a nonprofit Please. Um, director, so I'm a, I'm a pastor. So when we started our church, I, I told our team, I said, hey, here's 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 how I want us to think about this. If we decided to close our church down, mm-hmm. you know, 10 years from now and say, hey, it's been a good run. We sell the building. We sell all the property. We give all the money away. And it's great. I would want us to have added so much value to this community mm-hmm. that the community would protest and storm the building and say, you cannot shut down because if you shut down, our community will suffer. Mm-hmm. And that's my that's our mindset. So in this season that we find ourselves in, one of the things that we're doing, mm-hmm. Max, and this isn't necessarily what you would call maybe a job description of the church, but one of the things that we're doing is we are trying to help keep small businesses in business hmm. by featuring them on our Instagram page, by asking people to buy online gift cards. And these aren't people that go to our church. Hmm. Some of them are. Many of them aren't. It's just, hey, we want to be, what do we want to be known for? We want to be known for being for Gwinnett, which is our community. And we just, we believe that we want to be a value add. And doing good is good for business. Mm-hmm. So what I want to do is I want to lift the community and be better for our community just because we are here. Yeah. And this is one of the things I think business leaders can learn from nonprofit leaders. See, as nonprofit leaders, I don't have anything to sell other than purpose, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like our volunteers, we have hundreds and hundreds of volunteers. If they don't show up, then then we this whole thing falls apart and we don't pay them mm-hmm. and I, I was t- i was telling a business leader about this you know that uh, that i think he could learn from nonprofit leaders and church leaders he goes hey with all due respect I, I you know i appreciate you church leaders but i don't really think that there's anything that you could teach us mm-hmm. about about this and i said well how many of your employees do you pay and he goes what are you talking about i said how many employees do you how many of your employees do you pay he goes well we pay all of them. I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, well, I, that's cool. I have hundreds of volunteers that we pay in coffee and donuts on Sunday, mm-hmm. and they have to show up for purpose, right? So in terms of being for your community, it's adding value to the world around you yeah. and saying, hey, you know what? We're going to leverage our platform for your for your own good. So let me give you an example, very tangible example that if I was, if for a day, I would like to be the director of marketing for AT&T, Sprint, mm-hmm. or Verizon, or any of these mobile communication companies. And here's what I would do. Immediately, I would shut down the advertising that says, we're better than Sprint, we're better than Verizon. I mean, I, I think this Sprint Verizon guy has commitment issues, right? I think he got traded to the other team. So, you know, it's all, look how much better that we are than our competitors. We, we're not impressed by that. It does mm-hmm. not impress us that you think you're better than your competitors. Okay. What I would do instead is I would let the world know, the larger community know that we want to leverage our platform mm-hmm. for your good. So here's what I would do. I would target parents. I don't like the word target, but I would, I would, I would um, seek out parents and go, hey, parents, when your kids become teenagers or they get 12 years old or maybe even younger and they get their own phone, I bet there's a little trepidation in you to hand them that phone. Mm-hmm. What we want to do here in AT&T is we want to teach your child, partnering with you, we want to teach your child how to leverage technology and to leverage that phone, but not become addicted to it. Mm-hmm. We're your friend. We're for you. You do that for me, Max. I don't care. I'll pay more mm-hmm. because you're for me 
than because you're yelling about how great you are better than your competitors. Mm -hmm. That's where this game is going. So trying to figure out how can we take all of this money of marketing and shift it to the good and the betterment of the community, but still let them know that what we do as a business is one of the things that we can partner alongside of you to help you have a better life. So I feel like trying for, for organizations to, to stop talking about themselves so much and start talking about the community and how they can serve the community. And again, we're seeing that in this season. Mm -hmm. I mean, so many companies have, you know, shut down what they're doing to make ventilators or to make masks. That's right. I'm telling you that, that kind of approach. And when things get back to normal, whatever normal looks like after this, mm -hmm. Don't miss that. I'm not saying you shouldn't go back to making the products that you made before, but that kind of mindset, that kind of heart, don't walk away from that because that's the future of thriving businesses being for the community. Yeah. And so many employees that I'm speaking to right now, they say that their purpose is is for that frontline, first-line responder, or the reason why we're doing this is to save lives or to help our community or to help our people, to help our neighbors you know, and the grocery store clerks are going to the grocery store every day to make sure those shelves are stocked so that people have food. I mean, yeah. the deliveries and the, I mean, the, the, there was a GE Healthcare employee today that they shared the story on, the, on, on LinkedIn. Hundreds of thousands of likes already for this guy who drove from his home in Salt Lake City out to Minneapolis so that he could help on a ventilator valve that needed to be fixed. And he's a engineer that understands how to get this done. So he drove overnight and the next day he's out there working on valves, right? And that's, and we should, he should get hundreds of thousands of likes. Mm -hmm. um, but my point is, is don't lose that. Yeah. Don't, don't waste this crisis. Don't, don't walk away from that too soon. Don't forget that, it. Don't forget it. It was always there. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying you shouldn't go back to your, you know, your products before and, 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 and all of that. But at the same time, uh, those phone calls to your season ticket holders and those those serving, here's the great thing, serving your customers is one thing. Mm -hmm. Totally need to do that. Serving your team, totally need to do that. Serving your community with no strings attached, mm -hmm. that should be a part of every single business going forward. However that looks might be different. However that looks from a consistency basis might look different. Mm -hmm. But don't walk away from that. And then to your earlier point too, you ultimately though you have to be for you mm. which might sound a little ironic in the sense that we're saying to be outward focused and focus on the customer team the community but ultimately the best gift that you can give the customer the team and the community is a healthy replenished you and i talk about seven practices in the book to make sure that you're the healthiest that you can be mm -hmm. and again this season that we're in it has magnified all of that i mean if you were unhealthy emotionally going mm -hmm. in it's magnified that so allow this season really to you know one of the things i was talking to somebody earlier today is that this is um you know this time let's let's leverage this you know i think we all came into this well i'm going to clean out the garage i'm going to paint the house i'm gonna do all this and I, I think all that's good but don't don't miss the internal work that you can do yeah. because if you are if you are a, an unhealthy emotional leader, you will create an unhealthy emotional organization, and you can't run as thriving business over the long haul with emotionally unhealthy people. It yeah. is impossible. Mm -hmm. But it really the thing that 
that I, it's taken me a long time to realize this, Max. I've realized there's one person I have control over, hmm. and that's me. Hmm. <laughs> Other than that, I don't have control over her. You know, now obviously we've got some some responsibilities and some you know decision making power, if you will. But ultimately, the best gift that I can give my team in this season. Hmm is to make sure that I'm taking care of my emotional health, my physical health, um, spiritual health, all however that plays out for you, because that's the best gift that I can give the people that I serve. So let's make that personal for a minute. For those who are listening at home today and they're feeling a little flustered or, you know, emotionally, they're just really struggling at this point. What's some advice you could give to someone who needs to just recharge, um, but it's hard to do, hard to do because they're feeling, you know, stuck. So the first thing I, I usually, and I'm not, by the way, I'm not a doctor, so, mm. but uh, I don't think it takes a doctor to understand that your sleep habits are important. Mm-hmm. And the other thing about having, you know, the more great days you have, the more great months you have, and the mm-hmm. more great months you have, the, the more great years you have. So one of the best principles I've heard about having great days is a great day begins the night before. Mm-hmm. And to set yourself up so before you go to bed, write down three things that would characterize a win for tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And I would highly, highly encourage people not to go to bed with technology, Mm -hmm. but to try to go to bed without it and try to get, you know, if you can't get eight hours of sleep, try to get just one hour more consistently. Um, Sleep is so underrated, Mm -hmm. but I think in this season, if we can, and I know for many people, there's so much, there's so much stress and anxiety but if you could commit to doing something the night before, mm-hmm. trying to get more consistent sleep. And then one of the other things is I ask people to to ask big on a consistent basis. Mm-hmm. Ask big. Ask people for big things. And the reason I ask, ask people to do that is you can't ask big if you're not remaining inspired that some of the requests that you get might actually happen. Mm-hmm. And so when's the last time you could ask big of somebody? Mm-hmm. And like when I, I'll read somebody's book and I'll somehow try to, you know, email them on their website or I'll get their, you know, corporate address and I'll write them a note and say, can I come meet with you? Mm-hmm. And 98% of the time I'm sold, I'm told no, but 2% of the time I'm, I'm told yes, but I've got to remain inspired. And when I remain inspired, then I can ask big and I've got big dreams and visions. And so I think taking care of yourself emotionally and another question to ask people um, is what's it like to be on the other side of me? Mm-hmm. That's a great question to ask people because you and I have never been on the other side of us before. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of assumptions. We all make assumptions that it's great on the other side mm-hmm. of me. But um, I would encourage you in the season to ask this question. Mm-hmm. What's it like to be on the other side of me? Because you're going to get three responses. Number question or answer, you're going to get three answers to this question. Answer number one, you're going to get some encouraging information. Answer number two, you're going to get some surprising information that you did not know about yourself. And then answer number three, you're going to get your feelings hurt. Mm-hmm. But those are opportunities to grow. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, Max, as a leader, one of the best things that you can do is to ask people, hey, what's it like to be on the other side of me? Yeah. Because what it'll do is they will begin to think, huh, I wonder what it's like to be on the other side of me. And the courage that you showed to ask that question is fantastic because what what you're showing is, hey, you know what? 
I didn't have to ask you that question. Here's the reality for all of us. We don't have to have the courage and we don't need to take the courage to, to ask that question. But if we refuse, here's, here's what's so damaging about this. The answers are still there. Mm -hmm. We're just the only one in the world that doesn't know. It. Mm -hmm. And there's no way to grow. So one of the best things that you can do to show people that you're for them is to be vulnerable, to be transparent, to be authentic. I know as a leader in, in my career, the times I've said, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what to do. I'm kind of afraid. That hasn't diminished fellowship. It's actually, people have actually breathed and go, oh, okay, I feel the same way. I'm so glad you went first. Mm -hmm. But that's going to take uh, an emotionally healthy person. And we don't drift toward health in any way in our lives. We drift toward unhealth. In there. Nobody wakes up when nobody you know sits up at night and says, I don't know what happened. I just suddenly started eating a bowl of broccoli. It was amazing. I was on the couch and I got a bowl of broccoli. We don't drift toward uh, health. So you got to drift against the grain. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but again, the reason we want to do this isn't just for us, although that's a great thing. The reason we want to do this is for the people, the teams, the customers, the community that's in our lives. That's the kind of people we want to, you know, be as we serve these these other three groups. Well, I think you touched on so many different pieces. You know, my head is spinning with lots of different examples of my own life. But I find that I am better emotionally when I'm in service to others. And, and so I think that's been very helpful for me, you know, and so we've been raising money for people to be able to pay for, you know, head covers and face masks and trying to help people in our community and send encouraging words rather than diminishing ones and ones that will encourage people to be able to say, hey, how can I be thoughtful of my neighbor in a safe and polite way? But how can I be of help? How can I be of service? You know, several months ago um, in our community, I, I encouraged our community to get together and we're going to go every month. We go to a different restaurant and we meet our neighbors and we support local businesses. Love it. And Love this it. is just what we do. And now of course we do it online. <laughs> so, and, yeah. and, and again, we'll go back out there and we're going to continue to support each other because I do believe that the more we get to know each other, the less likely we are to attack each other, particularly with the Absolutely. online manners, you know, and the way we, we treat each other online so often. I, and that's one of the reasons why we love doing that as well. Yeah. You know, when we started our church, we asked the question, what do we want to be known for? Mm -hmm. We weren't known for anything because we were just, you know, we were just a startup. But we said, you know, when it comes to the church, many people are more familiar with what the church is against rather than what the church is for. Let's be known for who we're for. So when we would go into businesses and say, hey, can we feature you on our Instagram page? They would go, well, um, why do yeah. you want to do this? Do we, you know, should we put flyers about your church? Are you asking us to do like, no, we're not asking you to do anything no. for us. We just want to support you because we believe one of the ways you create a thriving organization or a thriving community is to have thriving businesses. And they would just look and they would say, so it doesn't cost anything and you don't ask me anything. And then they would ask this great question, which I would love. I love all this. Uh, love this all the time. This happens, Max. They go, why are you doing this? Yeah. And there you go. It's like, that's the question I want to hear because it's like, they're so bewildered, but why are you doing something that's so nice? Yeah. And I'm telling you, that's where the game is going. And I know I'm a pastor and I know people may not think I have a whole lot of credibility from the business standpoint, even though I spent a number of years in the business world, but I'm telling you from a brand standpoint, from a connecting with the world in a powerful way, that's where this thing is going. And research is proving me out 
I was with the global marketing director for, for kids too. They create baby Einstein and other mm-hmm. these family products. And he was showing me this research that you, the, the, the younger you get, mm-hmm. um, the more people are expecting you to do something for the world. Mm-hmm. And if you're not, if you don't have a good answer for that, then they're going to walk away from you. Yeah. Jeff, this has been a great conversation for me, and I hope our listeners have been able to take just so many different pieces from this. Um, a last piece of advice, perhaps, so when we talk about purpose or how you live your life with principles, what what advice would you leave with people before uh, before we go today? I think, I, and I'll, I'll, I'll pick this up from from Andy Stanley. And that's do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Mm-hmm. I think when you hear things like this, like handwritten thank you notes and, you know, commenting on other on customer social media posts and all that, you can kind of throw your hands up and say, I don't have time for that. Mm-hmm. But no, the system, create a system. And so for me, I'm not Frank Blake. I can't write 100 thank you notes. I'm not that good. But I can write three a day. Mm-hmm. That's a system for me. I want to do for one. But you're not just doing it for the one uh, you're doing it for the one that, that they get that and they go, look at what this organization did for me. They're genuinely for me. So I would encourage you um, don't be overwhelmed by trying to be good for the world. Um, try to be good for one person tomorrow. Mm-hmm. That's a great place to begin. Well, I love that. Jeff Henderson. Thank you very much for being on the Purpose and Principles podcast. I am really grateful you'd be here today. Thanks, Max. So um, let's let's go back to let's get back together once all this is over. I I would love that. I would love that. 